honest. There's a there's an age, and I'm beyond that age. If I went, they'd have had a lot less fun, Marissa. It wouldn't have been any fun at all, right? Yeah. See, Fitzpatrick, though, Matt, Matt, Mike, you're still young enough to pull this off. I was so proud of you, man. You look like you're enjoying yourself, right? Yes. Okay. Twenty thousand steps. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. But seriously, I think building relationships is a part of a big part of who we are, and that's why we do these kinds of things. And I hope that if you're new to us, you understand that. I want you to be a part. I want you to kind of, you know, find your way in, and we'll help you. But uh, uh, it is, you know, following Jesus is not something you do by yourself. And you're going to have to build relationships, and you're going to have to build people who walk with you. And uh, that's why we do some of these things. So today I want to talk to you about a subject that is um, kind of hard to get your arms around at times. And uh, it's a word that kind of at the core of what we're talking about today, the word is faith. And um, if I were to ask each of you to stand up and give a definition, there'd probably be a lot of different definitions of the word faith, and what do we mean by that? I mean, in our culture, we kind of use that. It's one of those kind of churchy words that sounds really good, you know. It sounds, man, I have, I have faith. Based on what? In what? You know, people say, you know, I have faith that things are going to turn around, and there's probably no hope that they're going to turn around, really. Oh, I have faith that my kids are going to turn out, or I have faith that things are going to get better. Listen, and that that kind of attitude about faith it really kind of feels more like kind of like a distant hope you know it's like me in my first semester of calculus going man i hope i pass man i hope when i get this test back whoo pretty hard um and you're just kind of hoping and you don't really even have any basis for that hope you're just like ah maybe i hope it works hope the hope the hope the market improves i hope i get a job that's not the faith of the Bible. That's not the word that the Bible is talking about. Um, worldly hope is really kind of what we fall back on when we run out of, you know, any ability to, to affect the situation. Um, biblical hope, actually, when the, when the Bible speaks of hope, it speaks of certainty. Biblical hope means this is going to happen. It's a future event that's going to happen. It's like when Trey Carroll shoots a free throw. It's going in. Amen, Trey? Thank you, buddy. Um, But faith in the Bible, what are we talking about? What does it really mean? Really, faith means, better, better translated, it means trust. I trust that God is faithful, that he will do what he said he would do. I trust him. And so today, the title of our message is Trust. It's Faith That Counts or Faith That Matters. Genesis chapter 15 um, is going to take us through a, a picture of Abram's faith. And if you're new to us, we walk through major sections of scripture and we're in Genesis And uh, when you walk through the Bible and you don't skip things, you have to handle some difficult, challenging, and mind-bending passages and just buckle up because this is one of them. uh, But it will make all the sense in the world to you uh, when we're done. So Genesis chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. 
I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, let me set context, because we, we have to understand Scripture in terms of context of what's happening. And Abram has just returned from an incredible victory, kind of unexpected victory over four kings of the east who have conquered five kings of Palestine, and they've hauled off his nephew Lot into captivity. And, and Abram, with no known warrior experience, maybe he took some training, maybe he was a soldier, we never know, but doesn't talk about him as a warrior, as a general. He goes off and he defeats these four kings who have been marauding the area, and he brings Lot back, along with the people and the goods of the city of Sodom where uh, Lot was living. And when he returns, he comes upon two kings, and one of them is Melchizedek. We talked about this last week, and Melchizedek is this mysterious priest of the Lord Most High. He comes out of nowhere, and one of the things he reminds us of is God is doing things that we don't know about, right? He's doing far more than we can see around us. He's at work in other people, in other places, in other cities, and other countries, and this is Melchizedek kind of comes out of nowhere and blesses Abram. And he interprets for him what's going on. I love people like that that can come into your life and go, listen, let me just tell you what's happening. I see God at work in your life, and here's what I think he might be doing. That's what Melchizedek does for Abram. He says, God has given you this victory. It belongs to him, and you're blessed. And Abram worships the one true God, and he gives Melchizedek, 10% of everything he has. It's that first, uh, it's that first instance of the major giving or the tithe. But then there's another king that shows up. The king of Sodom shows up, and apparently he's just crawled out of a tar pit because that's where he got chased when he got defeated by the kings that Abram had just defeated. And he says, hey, Abram, let me cut a deal with you. Give me back my people that you rescued, and you keep all the goods, and uh, we'll be good then. And Abram's like, well... Not sure that you have any ground to negotiate on, but no, I don't want anything from you. I don't want any tribute from you. I don't want to owe you anything. I don't want you to make me any kind of a king. I've got one king, and that's the Lord God Most High. That's the king. I don't want to be king. I don't want to take his place. We talked about last week how that's a challenge for us often because, you know, you can never underestimate the human desire to be king, right? I can do stuff. I should be king. Um, but Abram resists that, and he rejects Sodom's uh, offer, the king of Sodom, and he stays as a follower of the one true God. And then this next section we just read comes about. God speaks to him in a vision. Um, and he's, the word of the Lord comes to Abram, and this is how it happened a lot in the Old Testament. We have this incredible book called the Bible that we can count on, that we can depend on. But in the Old Testament, God was revealing himself, and a lot of times he would come in a vision. He says, fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then Abram asks a question. You ever ask God a question? Did you come in with a question that you'd really like to know the answer to? And maybe you're thinking, well, that doesn't show a lot of faith if I ask God a question. But really, it's really fine to ask God a question. 
who likes to respond to legitimate questions? And Abram's like, you know, you see, God had promised Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to, you're going to have so many offspring. In chapter 13, it talks about your offspring going to be like the, the dust of the earth. It's going to be incredible how many offspring that come from you and Sarah. But he and Sarah have never had a child. They've been married like a really long time, like 50 or 60 years. Now, remember, for them, they're going to live longer than us, so really it would be more like they were in their 40s and 50s than like in their 80s and 90s, but still. If you've been married decades and there's no child, you're not thinking there's going to be a child. And so Abram asked him the question, Lord, is this still going to happen, really is what he's saying. Is your promise going to happen because my heir, if I kick off right now, if I die right now, my heir is a foreigner, this guy Eleazar from Damascus. He's, he's my number one servant. So is this still in play? That's a fine question to ask. You may ask God, God, are you still going to use me like I thought you were going to use me? God, do you still want me to be a mom or a dad? Do you still want me to be married? God, are, are you calling me to that? Is this really the plan that you have for me? It's, a, it's a, simply it's a good question to ask. Am I on track really is kind of the question. And he's wondering, am I? Am I the one? Is, it gonna, is, is there going to be a son, really? God's made him a great promise. Kind of reminds me of John chapter 14. I love New Testament parallels when Jesus has made this promise to his disciples. He says, in my father's house are many rooms, or your version may say many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And the disciples are dumbfounded. I don't know. Do you know what he's talking about? And couldn't you just hear him whisper, do you know what he's talking about? And Thomas, you know, he's the guy in the class who's going to ask the question. He says, you know, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a great question. God, I don't know my next step. How do I know what to do? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, you don't need to know the way. If you know me, you know the way. If you stay with me, you're going to get there. I'm the key to what's happening here. You don't need a map or Google or GPS, or any of that. You just need me. I love that answer. Verse 4 of Genesis 15, and Jesus gives an emphatic answer to Abram's question. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you were able to count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Kind of reiterates the, the dust of the earth thing, and now it's the stars in the sky. Abram, look at the sky. Your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky. If you can count them, you could count your offspring. It's an emphatic answer that God gives to Abram's question. And you know what? I, can you imagine, though, you're a childless couple? You're getting along in years, and God gives you this question. It's 
I love that God answers his question, and it's, it's not fuzzy. It's not ambiguous. This is absolutely going to happen. And I think that, it doesn't say this, but I'm going to add a little imagination. I think Abram probably started counting. One, two, hundred, thousand. I don't know how far he went. If you've ever tried to do this, it's pretty cool on a really clear night if you're out in the ocean or out in the Everglades or someplace. You can see all these millions of stars. See, Abram had a faith that literally counted. He believed so much that he probably started counting the stars to kind of see the size of what God was going to do. He believed him that much. It's an incredible scene. But look at the next verse, and this is a summary verse. It's one of those verses that just kind of gives you a summary of what's been happening in Abram's life, and it's, it's a really important verse because it's, it's uh, quoted three times in the New Testament. You need to really pay attention to a verse like that. It says this, Genesis 15, 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him, he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. First of all, you always have to ask yourself, well, I thought being righteous was doing good deeds. And this man lived a righteous life, and because she was she did all these good things, she's a righteous person. But what does it say? It says righteousness is based on believing, or better said, trusting. That Hebrew word there really means I'm going to place my trust in the future activity of God. Because Abram trusted God, that equaled righteousness. God counted, it's an accounting term. It says he counted it, he counted his, he looked at his belief and he saw righteousness. I love that picture of how God functions. When we trust in him and what he's going to do, we become pure. Yes, we. Innocent. Holy. Acceptable to God. We have a place in his home forever. You gotta grab on to that reality. You are not saved by your ethnicity, your nationality, your good deeds, your good looks, your ability to do certain things, your business acumen, your inheritance. You are saved by the fact that you trust in God. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, this is Old Testament. So just... Steve, wait a minute. I really thought that the only way to be righteous or to be saved or to go to heaven is that I would believe in Jesus, and Abram doesn't know Jesus. So I thought all those people in the Old Testament were just an allegory, or maybe they all went to hell. I don't really know. But listen, no one gets saved unless they believe God's And you get saved in the Old Testament the same way you would get saved in the New Testament. You have to believe the promise of God and to believe all that God reveals. And he hadn't revealed a lot to Abram because we're in the very early point of God's revelation of himself, right? The Old Testament, and theologians call this progressive revelation. It's not political, but it's this constant that God 
regularly and consistently reveals who he is throughout all of Scripture. I mean, what does Abram really know at this point? Not a lot. If he knew all that the Bible had been written at this point, all he really knew was that what? God created heaven and earth. It was perfect. Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, it got really bad. Cain killed Abel. Uh, there had to be this ark that saved everybody, the Tower of Babel. And now we're here. It's not a lot. Abram believes the promise of God, which was originally stated in Genesis 12. He said, listen, Abram, go from where you are. Leave your lifestyle. Leave your father, your region, your people, and go where I will show you, to a place I will show you. And I will make you great. I will make you a great nation. That's all he knew. You know, sometimes we'll have children that'll be baptized and they'll say, I want to receive Jesus. And we don't actually spend years making them memorize the whole Bible. They don't know a lot. All they know is they're responding to what God has said. Mark 1.15 says the kingdom of heaven is the time is now. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe in the gospel. When you come to Jesus, you're just believing what God has clearly said. And you trust him. And then someone might say, well, you know what? Where's the repentance in this for Abram? The repentance is that he left his life to follow God. As Henry Blackaby used to say, you, it's impossible to go with God and stay where you are. It's impossible to go with God and stay where you are. That's why repentance is required. From our perspective, we see Jesus. We know so much about God. We have this incredible book of revelation of him, the 66 books. It's amazing, written by 40 authors. It's incredible that God has given this to us. What he's calling on you to do is to trust in what he's revealed to you and to believe in that rather than in your good deeds and your ability to be a good person. We're never made righteous, good, innocent, acceptable to God by our deeds. It's our trust in what he has clearly said that makes us but the encounter doesn't stop there. God's about to really emphatically tell Abram what's about to happen. Genesis 15, 7 says this. And he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And this is a good question. Right? It's not wrong to say, God, I, I just need to know how am I going to know this? What am I, what's my way to understand this? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Stay with me. How many of you think this is really weird? That's why we study Old Testament. That's why we do this, because we really don't understand what God is doing. Um, that's why we study through major sections so we don't skip stuff like this, but stay with me. And he brought him all these, and he cut them in half. We're not sure if he did long ways or across. We don't know. It doesn't matter. 
Um, I know some of you are picturing this right now. Um, and he laid each, each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What in the world, Abigail? What does this have to do with what God is about to do? Okay, so probably looks forward so much to animal sacrifice, but more than anything, what's happening here is that there is an oath, a covenant that's about to be made. And the way covenants would work back in those days is that sometimes you would make a covenant with someone and you would cut animals in half and you would pass between the halves. And the promise is that if I don't keep the covenant, I need to be cut in half just like this. It's kind of like, you know, swearing, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I think there's, there's more to that. But um, cut my animal in half could be the end of that, I guess. Um, it's a really solemn thing. This is expensive. These are animals in their prime and probably their, the height of their value. So God is making a huge statement about his reliability and the covenant that he's about to make. And so it's all ready for the covenant to happen. But what does God promise him? And he lays this out in uh, verses 12 through 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful, great darkness fell upon him. Have you ever been there? Dreadful, great darkness fell on him. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your father's to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried, buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here's what God's doing. He's saying, look, this is going to happen. You are going to get the land. Your offspring will get the land. Abram, you're going to have lived a, to a ripe old age. I mean, he lives to be about 175, and you're going to die. But your offspring will have to go down to Egypt, and they're going to be there for 400 years. And then they're going to come out with great possessions, which is exactly what happened. In other words, the road that I'm giving your offspring is not going to be easy. It is going to be rich, and it is going to be completed as I said it was going to be completed. See, God always tells his people what he's going to do. Sometimes we don't understand it exactly, like they didn't really understand who Jesus was, even though he was talked about throughout the whole Old Testament. But he has told them. You could turn back to the Old Testament. And say, this is me. This is why it says this in Isaiah. And the same thing is happening here. Abram, this is what's going to happen. It's kind of like Jesus saying in John chapter 16, 44 to his disciples. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Are you facing tribulation? Is it difficult? Is this a hard time? Almost everybody has something hard on their life right now. There's a difficulty, there's a challenge, there's something they want to fix. 
Jesus is saying, listen, because you have tribulation doesn't mean things are off. Doesn't mean you've gotten off track. This is what you should expect. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. That's my promise. I've overcome the world. And God goes ahead and ratifies his covenant with Abram. Verse 17 of Genesis says this. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. And behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. All right, this is the end of the weird metaphor. So the, the pieces are laying there, and there's this torch and this like, like, like a, an oven-like thing, and it passes between the pieces of the animals. And this is a, a picture of the presence of God. And it passes between the pieces to say, I am ratifying this covenant. And the important thing for us to see here is Abram never passes between these pieces. The covenant is, this is a promise that God will do. It's only dependent upon him. It's not dependent on Abram or his performance. I love that. God's promises to you are not dependent on you and your ability to be good believe that i mean it's so hard for us who are so accomplished at what we do we feel like god i surely i can do something and it's not dependent on you god says this covenant is only dependent upon me and i swear by myself if you will because i can swear by nothing greater that i will absolutely do what i promised to do then he gives him the boundaries of the land in verses 18 through 21 he says on that day the lord made a covenant with abram saying to your offspring i will give the land from the river of egypt to the great river the river euphrates the land of the kenites the kenizzites the cadmonites the hittites the perizzites the rephians the amorites the canaanites the Gergesites, and the jebusites said i'm promising you to give what others possess i'm giving that to you and it's absolutely going to how do we apply this to our lives? And what does a faith that counts look like? A faith that counts looks like these six things from this passage. It believes what it cannot see or even imagine. You cannot see the promise of God. And Abram couldn't even imagine it with married to Sarah and they hadn't had a child in 60 years of marriage. Faith that counts says, I believe you, Jesus, even though I cannot see. I can't see what you're doing. I can't see you. But I'm trusting that your blood is counted for my life. I'm trusting what I can't see. Second, faith that counts trusts God rather than their performance to please him. It's not about your performance. It's not about your good works. I'm trusting you, Jesus, to be good on my behalf. I'm not trying to earn your favor. I've already received it. And I want to live in response to that. Third, a faith that counts trusts God even in dark times. Even when it's hard. Even when you can't understand. You don't know where God is going. You don't know what's happening. You're just trusting God step by step following him even though it's really tough right now 
I want to speak to you, those, those of you who would say, you know, I'm going through an incredibly hard time. This is the time when your faith is really built. God, I trust you. Even though I don't know how this is going to work out, and I honestly don't know how this could ever bring you glory, but I trust you, Jesus, because your promise is absolutely true, and I know you. Fourth, a faith that counts believes that God can speak your language. Do you think God can speak to you? I mean, the place to start is always in Scripture, right? I, I want to I read God's Word. I want to know God's Word. I want to be in God's Word every day, right? That's, that's the first thing. But do you think God can direct you somewhere? Do you think that God can show you where he wants you to go? See, he was able to speak Abram's language because Abraham understood the whole picture of the pieces of animals. He understood looking at the stars in the sky. God does that. My favorite illustration for me personally is, is I was considering what God would have me do, and I was by a river, and I was in, I was in sales at the time, and I, you guys have heard this story before, but I, God, the metaphor he used was it's time for me to get in the river and let me take you where I want to take you, to let go of the shore. And that was a challenge for me. But that was this picture. Let go. I'm going to take you where I want to take you. I'm God. You're not. You follow. I'll be there. God can speak your language. Don't worry if you say, I don't know what to do. You just say, God, just tell me. He wants you to know what he wants you to do way more than you want him to. It may take a while. You may have to listen for a while. But he's able to speak your language. Fifth, believe that the promise depends on God and not on you. Don't be worried that you're going to lose him. He's going to drop you. He's going to forget about you. Uh, that you're going to do something so bad that God rejects you. That doesn't happen. You see, it depends on God. He's the one that made the promise to you. When you receive that gift of salvation, Jesus holds you in his hand. You don't have to worry about trying to hold on to him. He's holding on to you. And sixth, and this may be the biggest challenge, is trust that God's promises are still mostly future. We love to be together. We love the fellowship. We love to go to Rocky Universe. We love to do things. We love to hang out. We love to go to lunch. We love to sit around and tell lies. No, that's fishing. Um, we, we, we love each other. But what we have to, as important and wonderful and great as it is, honestly, is nothing compared to what God will do for you. This is just a foretaste. This is just a, a tiny appetizer to what it will be like to be in heaven forever, to know the joy of the Lord all the time, where you wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more and there's not going to be any more sin or weeds or mosquitoes or sand fleas or jellyfish or whatever it is that bothers us. Trusting God says it's future. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Because God is absolutely reliable. Trust him to do what he promises. Develop this faith that counts. So where are you today? Say, Steve, I'm not really there. I'm just not. Where do I start? The starting place is to respond to what you know he's clearly saying. His initial call is to repent and believe. Is that your life?
a life of repentance? Because, well, I repented a long time ago. Well, probably you've sinned since then. And that's what causes us to feel distant from God. Repent. Repentance should be part of the Lord's model prayer, so it really should be something that we're doing regularly. Repent and believe. Maybe you've never really done that. Maybe you've never received the gift of salvation. Well, that's why you don't really understand what's going on in the world and in your life. Because it takes that level of trust to receive that gift of salvation, to trust Jesus with your life and eternity. Then the revelation starts, and you start understanding this is what that God's doing for you. This is what's happening. So the first step is to respond to what you know God has done. And then second, it's fair to ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do I respond in the difficulties I'm facing? Is, am I still on track or have I missed something along the way? Those are fair questions for you to ask. And as you're asking those questions, make sure that you're reading his word every day. Make sure that you are around people and chatting with people who are also following Jesus. It's amazing that to be righteous is all about trust. When you trust Jesus, you become righteous. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. God, forgive us when we think we can earn it. Forgive us when we try to be king. Forgive us when we try to lead you rather than follow you. God, help us focus on trusting. On trusting. Lord, for those who are here today who are struggling in this area, Lord, I I pray you would make yourself so real to them. Remind Remind them what you have clearly already done. You are an awesome and powerful and loving and incredible God. You invite us in by giving us the opportunity to trust you. Oh, thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that it depends on you and not on us. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing? speak
hope that's your heart. I hope you're opening your heart to him. And if you have questions and you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I'd love to chat with you after the service. But for right now, if you'd be seated for a moment, and we've got some new members that we want to recognize, and their names are going to come up on the screen Debbie, right here. Trey, you can come on up here. Susan, and, uh, Jake, come on up front your, right Your name's here. right here. We want everyone to meet you. We voted on new members Wednesday night. These are among the ones that were included that said that they felt like that the Lord wanted them to become a part of our church family. A lot of them were uh, presented in the 930 service and these were the 11 o'clock. Let me introduce you to Lee and Susan Johnson. Susan was raised in a Christian home and she gave her heart to Christ and was baptized as a little girl. Lee was raised in a Catholic home and his dad read the scripture to them every day. So he really loved God. But it was in more recent years that he understood about being born again and was baptized by immersion in the fire of God. They met in the Coast Guard in Alaska where he was a cook and she was in environmental protection to do things like present, preventing problems like the oil spill over at Exxon Valdez. So they're down here now because Lee's a recruiter with the Coast Guard and uh, he's already begun serving in our church and hospitality, put on a special dinner for us uh, that we had with some of our young leaders last week. Um, so he's serving in hospitality. They, um, Steve has worked with Children's Church before, so you may chat on to what we do with Odelbo Kids. You guys are praying with our family, so keep them in your prayers uh, for the Lord to bless them. <laughs> Debbie Alderizo is a cute little Jersey girl. She came to Christ as a teenager. She's a registered nurse. She works as a clinical quality consultant, and so she keeps several health groups organized. She will help us mind all our P's and Q's. She's already helped with this dinner that Lee put on us. She helped serve, and her bright smile made everybody feel so welcome. She's in life group, too. And then y'all know Trey. Trey Carroll. Trey was raised in a Christian home, and he gave his heart to Christ and was baptized at 11 years old with his mom. And uh, his senior year of high school, he was named basketball player of the year for the state of Florida. He is a player for our Florida Atlantic University Owls, and he's getting more and more playing time. As a, Way to go, Trey. As a, officially like a sophomore this year, right? So you'll have a couple more years. He played last night, and uh, they showed a video of an interview with him during halftime. This, this young man loves Jesus. He lives a life that honors the Lord in his behavior and his speech and is a great example for the students at FAU. So we're so excited that he's joining us. Jake Murley has come down from sweet little northern Florida where everybody smiles and is so happy. He gave his heart to Christ in the church as a boy and was baptized. Went to University of Florida where they have a great Baptist collegiate ministry as a lot of our state schools do for decades and decades. But, you know, FAU's only been around since, like, the 60s. We've not had a Baptist work then. We weren't praying toward that. So our North American Mission Board began to work with the students at uh, University of Florida, including students like Jake, who was very active. This other couple that were dear friends of his were hired to come down and start a BCM. And so last spring, Jake and a bunch of them came with them. Our church hosted them. Um, and they just were feeling out the spiritual temperature on campus during spring break, going around to see if he was interested in Jesus, what's going on. Multiple conversations 
people coming to Christ, and they were certain that they needed to come down. So Jacob, the software developer, he came down on mission to help this couple get the BCM started. They've got Bible studies going on. Jacob's using our church. He's already involved in a young leaders training program that the North American Mission Board has put together for our local churches. And Steve and I are leading 10 of our young men and women through. He's involved in this too. So this week, Jake and Merlene, he's involved in this life group. And uh, because Steve's in software, he's going to be a great help on the sound work. Awesome. If you're interested in membership, we'd love to talk with you. It's a process. It's a discussion. It's a class. And it's having this sense that God wants you to be a part of this church. This is a family. It's a place we want you to belong. And I'm so grateful for these that God has brought. I'm going to pray for us to close our time. But I would love for you to come by and greet them, welcome them, uh, say something inappropriate. No, sorry, just just. Great, greet them, say hello, and make them feel welcome in our church. Let's, let's pray. Father, we praise you for your body, your people. Lord, we all want to take our positions and help your kingdom move forward, Lord, to be a part of populating heaven. God, thank you for each of these individuals and what you've, what you've already done in them and what you will do with them here at First Baptist Delaware, Lord. Thank you for the journey we're on together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. See you next week.